0: Amen, amen. Let's join together in prayer. Father, we pray that your will be done, and just as these words, the reflecting of your scriptures, may they be fulfilled. May the peoples praise you. May all the world one day come and offer up their acknowledgment that you are you are Lord. That they would come to know uh, that the world would know salvation. Uh, That is through it is through Jesus Christ Father, thank you for the privilege of partnering with you in the proclamation of the good news and the blessings that we have in Christ Lord, may you take now your word and reveal to us more of our of our blessings that we have in Christ The blessings of knowing you as our God We pray that your spirit would teach us that your spirit would lead us into your truths and shape and mold this church into the church that you wish us to be Father, thank you and praise you for Christ and praise you for your word and your spirit that teaches us now. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. And if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me to the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 9, verse 15, and we're going to go all the way to chapter 10, verse 10. Uh, and uh, see that uh, so many of you are here and some of you just came in after our welcome time But I do want to extend a warm welcome to our, our guests and our visitors with us today And I'm glad to have you joining us and, uh, from uh, all across the country and uh, nearby as well So it's good to worship the Lord together, and that's why we uh, come together as the body of Christ And uh, part of our worship is through hearing what the Word of God uh, has to say And Numbers chapter 9 verse 15 through chapter 10 verse 10 is where we'll be this morning There are two times, two places in the Old Testament uh, law where God gives uh, to his people, to the nation of Israel, his Ten Commandments. We find it in Exodus chapter 20. We find it in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it is no mistake uh, that the first of the Ten Commandments is this, that thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other gods. You shall have no other gods before him, before the Lord. That of all in, the, in a world, in a society, of, in, that, in that time where the nations all had uh, their own respective gods or many gods even, that God himself tells his nation, his people Israel, he says, of all the gods that may be exist in this world, you are to have no other, not a single other god except me. You're not to worship me and the gods of the Assyrians. You're not to worship me and the gods of the Egyptians. You are to worship me and me alone. And in further explaining this commandment, the great reformer Martin Luther has well written this phrase regarding what is the nature of God. He says, he wrote, Whatever then thy heart clings to and relies upon, that is properly thy God. Let me rephrase it. He says, whatever your heart clings to, that is, whatever you hold on to the most dearly, most preciously in your life, whatever it is that you rely upon, that you trust in, And you you know what you trust in is what you seek when you're going through trials. Is that whatever your heart clings to and relies upon above all else, first and foremost, that he says is your God. And so, and so it's in having no other gods before me is not just having not to have worship other idols or other nations' gods, the religions of this world, but even for the secularists, even for in our secular world today who believes that it is possible to have no God, they're actually incorrect or in error. Because the reality is, all of us, whoever we are, wherever we come from, we all have a God or gods. We have a God and that we have someone or something that we cling to above all else, that we rely upon or trust in for all, all else. For the secular humanist or the atheist or the agnostic, it is essentially themselves. It is that they cling to and rely upon their own wisdom, their own knowledge, their own strength to solve their problems. They don't need God. They just need themselves or humanity as a whole. This morning, our question for all of us is, who is your God? Or what is your God if it's not the God of the Bible? When life is hard and the way is unclear for you, who do you turn to for help, who do you cling to for guidance, who do you look to for strength, do you look within, or do you look to God, do you look to things outside of God, to look to any place else besides God first, is to have another God before him, it is the, the breaking a violation of the first commandment. This morning's passage, that we're going to look at this today, reminds all of God's people that at all times, and especially when life is hard and when the way is unclear, to remember that the Lord is your God. The book of Numbers, as just a bit of an overview, is a tale of two generations of Israelites. One delivered from slavery in Egypt, the other preserved through 40 years of wandering in a wilderness desert. Both generations are eager to enter the promised land that God had promised their forefathers. And with each generation, God reminds them of his truths, of his faithfulness, and their need to faithfully follow and worship him. One of these generations, the first, will fail, as we'll see in the coming, upcoming chapters. But the other will succeed. Since chapter 7, God has been reminding the Israelites of how they began as His holy nation, how they started off faithfully worshiping and following Him. And the people of God are, share because He remind them that they, they began faithfully worshiping Him. For that generation and for every generation since, God's people have always started off, have been unified by this commitment to worship the Lord as their God. Today's passage is the conclusion of this whole section that started in chapter 7. It is the final word before the first generation is going to begin their march towards the promised land, a march that is mentioned elsewhere as an 11-day journey, but because of their failure becomes a 40-year one. reminds them in this this passage, and not just this generation, but every generation that would follow, that their God is the Lord, is Jehovah, is Yahweh. Therefore, they ought to follow and worship Him. And so, as those who are going to study this passage more, and just as it's a reminder to the the, the people of Israel and all future generations, it's a reminder for us today as well. And as we're going to break this passage, it breaks down pretty Basically, into two, two sections, two passages, two texts. And we're, in them, we're going to find two reminders of the Lord that encourage His people to follow and worship Him faithfully. And as those of us who gather together, who worship the Lord, and many of us are here for that purpose, then we're going to find reminders of the, from, of the Lord in this text that encourage God's people to follow and worship Him. Okay, Our, The first reminder, then, of the Lord that we find in our passage is found in chapter 9, verses 15 to 23. And that is the reminder of the cloud. The cloud. Visible to every Israelite in the camp was this pillar of cloud. If you've ever, uh, and if you know, just and you think about clouds, and you can just think about. Uh, and maybe some of you, uh, teach young children, or you might, or maybe when you were in school, you might have learned of the different types of clouds that are in, the, in our world. And one of the, this cloud is, is like perhaps, uh, what is known as the, uh, a cumulonimbus cloud. You can search for that on Wikipedia, okay? It's, this, it's a vertical cloud. Most clouds are kind of you know, horizontal, but there are certain clouds that are like vertical clouds. They're like this large plume of cloud, and, and usually in our world, in the natural world, these clouds are often filled with, you know, with, with moisture, and they're often accompanied with thunder and lightning. But this cloud, this pillar of cloud that we talk about here, today was no natural, ordinary cloud, even though we might classify it as a cumulonimbus. This was a supernatural cloud a supernatural cloud manifested by God. During Israel's wandering, this cloud would serve to remind them of God's, of God. And we remind them primarily that God was with them. We learn, and, and we see this reflected in the first two verses, that this cloud was a reminder of God's presence, of God's presence. Let's look at verse 15 and 16 of Numbers chapter 9. Now on the day that the tabernacle was erected, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And in the evening, it was like the appearance of fire over the tabernacle until morning. So it was continuously. The cloud would cover it by day and the appearance of fire by night. Moses records here that the cloud covered this tabernacle, the tabernacle in the, that was in the middle of, it, of the camp of Israel, and, on the, and it covered it on the day that it was Built or erected or put together, and this cloud would ap- would ap- would appear as a pillar of cloud during the daytime. But in the evening, it would appear as a as a pillar of fire, fire, and perhaps uh, there was uh, you know flames and things like that, and be, they would see that. So this cloud, and most significantly, was not just a one time appearance, but it was continuously over uh, in the over this tabernacle in the middle of uh, of the camp of Israel. Of course, this wasn't the first time that the people of God had seen this cloud. This was not just, oh, wow, never seen this before. But it was something that they had seen already uh, through their wanderings up to this point. We read of the very first time that they saw this cloud in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21 and 22, of just at the moment when Israel, having been delivered by by God through Moses after the 10th plague, and the, the, the Israelites were able to be, leave Egypt and be set free from their slavery. And we read this. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light. And that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. So, this cloud we learned then was something that would go before the people. It would go before them. It would move along in front of them from that day on, leading them to exactly to where they needed to go. During the daytime, it was a pillar of cloud. In the night, it was a pillar of fire. It was a constant reminder of, as, and of, where, of God, that God was with them, leading them through. This cloud, of course, would move around as soon as Pharaoh's army came and chased after. He, After the the Israelites, that pillar cloud moved from the front of Israel to behind the camp of Israel, and he stood between Israel and the army of Pharaoh, all until until the Israelites could pass uh, the Red Sea. They furthermore saw this cloud that whenever when they arrived at Mount Sinai three months later, and each time and every time when when Moses would be called by God to go up to the Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, sometimes it's called. There God would speak to him, and we would see in the descriptions of that that there would be a thick cloud that would appear on the mountain whenever God spoke. What's more, even when Moses sent that temporary tent of meeting outside the camp where he would meet with God, when God would go to speak with him, there would also be there this thick cloud. This cloud would be a constant reminder to Israel of the God's presence among them. And then we read, when the tabernacle was finally completed... We read in Exodus chapter 40 verse 34 and 35. Then the cloud that was going before them or going behind them or or outside the camp, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting which was inside the camp. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the cloud into the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. See the cloud then was a constant reminder of God's presence. God's presence that was, up to that point, outside, always leading or behind or out, external to the, to, the, to the camp of Israel because of their sin. But at, at the moment of the tabernacle's completion, when sacrifices could be made as a temporary payment for the sins, God's presence came and dwelt among Israel, sinful as they may be. Throughout their history, through content, constantly, whenever, uh, they saw the, whenever they saw the cloud, they were reminded of God's presence. Now, God could have appeared in a bush, right? Which he did. God could have appeared as an angelic being, which he's done. But he chose, to, in this case, to appear in a cloud. A cloud, a pillar of cloud that would be visible to everyone. No one could deny it. Well, I've not seen it. I don't believe that God's with us. Everybody, just, well, just look over there. As soon as sure as you can look out the window and see the sky, you could just look up as an Israelite in the camp and see this pillar of cloud and know that that is the manifestation of God. It's God's presence among us. And that cloud was always there over the tabernacle. The tabernacle over where the, in, the tent, in the tent of meeting, or in the, inside that tent of meeting was in the Holy of Holies, above the Ark of the Covenant, between the mercy seat dwelt the glory of God. There was the, the dwelling of the Lord. And there, from that, over that point, God's pillar of cloud dwelled. The cloud was this reminder of this truth that God was with them. Wherever they went, God was with them. He was there for them. He promised to bless them. And he would bless them by protecting them, provide for them, and give them peace wherever they went. Because God was their God. And he reminded them of this through this cloud of his presence with them. But not only is this cloud a reminder of God's presence for Israel, but we learn further that it was, a, in verses 17 to 23, that it's a reminder of God's guidance as well, God's guidance. Hmm. We see this in verse 17 to 23. We'll read the rest of this section. Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent afterward, the sons of Israel would then set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. At the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel would set out, and at the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud settled over the tabernacle, they remained camped. Even when the cloud lingered over the tabernacle for many days, the sons of Israel would keep the Lord's charge and not set out. If sometimes the cloud remained a few days over the tabernacle according to the command of the Lord, they remained camped. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. If sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning, when the cloud was lifting in the morning... They would move out, or if it remained in the daytime, and at night, whenever the cloud was lifted, they would set out. Whether it was two days, or a month, or a year that the cloud lingered over the tabernacle, staying above it, the sons of Israel remained camped, and did not set out. But when it was lifted, they did set out. At the command of the Lord they camped, and at the command of the Lord they set out. They kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses." We see here there's a, a poetic kind of nature to this uh, to this whole section. You see, there's much parallelism in the section, and there's a bunch, there's quite a bit of repetition as well. But the point is very simple: that God leads them. The cloud, of course, is still the main theme. And it, but you'll notice if you, as we, as I try to emphasize when I was reading it, that three times in this passage, or in three, three verses: verse eighteen, verse twenty, verse twenty-three. We see this this phrase that's repeated that it, this phrase that said, at or according to the command of the Lord, the sons of Israel was set out, or at or according to the command of the Lord, they would camp. And, and you see them there highlighted. See, Israel had been given instructions on how to camp and how to march in the early chapters, in chapter 2. But now we learn when they would know to camp or when they would know to march. And it would always be at the command of the Lord, and this command, and the command of the Lord would be indicated through this cloud, this cloud that would uh, would be when it was lifted up over the tent, and, and presumably would move in front of the of uh, or in front of the the uh, the Israelites, presumably heading north and maybe northeast towards the promised land. Then it would be an indication of that the command of the Lord was then for the Israelites to to set out from their camp. And when the cloud then at some point came back and rested over the tent of meeting, that would be an indication of the command of the Lord for the Israelites to stop and to camp. This cloud was a reminder to them of God's guidance, God's leading. And this would, they would remain camped, whether the cloud remained many days or a few days, whether it was two days, whether it was a month, whether it's a year. The Israelites faithfully followed God's command. If it was there... They stayed. If it moved forward, it would go, you know. I know many of us are like, wouldn't it be cool if God led us that way? You know, if the cloud all of a sudden just moved towards that direction, over that, you know, over to that school, say, oh, he wants me to go to that school. Or if the cloud then moved over that girl and say, oh, he wants me to marry that girl. Or if the cloud moved over and went over this company, oh, he wants me to work at that company. That's so awesome if that was the case. But that is not the case. <laughs> oh, we're not that kind of church. <laughs> uh Whenever, but whenever the cloud lifted, whenever, notice, it's like whenever it was lifted, whether it was, it was lifted in the morning, that's when they set out. When it was lifted in the evening, that's when they set out. Then they didn't say, oh, it's, it's nighttime, we can't see, let's wait till the morning to go right out. Because when it lifted in the evening, it was the command of the Lord, and they obeyed, and they set out, because God was leading them. All this is to say that the, that the people of God followed the Lord whenever and wherever he led. They kept the Lord's charge, the last verse, they kept the Lord's charge according to the command of the Lord through Moses. See, the Lord wanted Israel to put their trust in his leading. You know, it's somewhat arbitrary, this cloud moving around. You know, it's kind of, it's a cloud. But of course, they knew that it was this, this it was the presence it was symbolic of the presence of the Lord, and therefore they put the when they would move, they had to put their trust in the Lord, their God, that He was that He was going to lead them to where they needed to be. You know, He didn't ask them to say, you know, to send out scouts first of all. Say, well, let's, let's see if it's safe to move ahead. Let's send out some scouts. He does that later on, right, when he tells them to get out of the land, but he doesn't tell them that to do here. He doesn't say, well, so get your meteorologists out and, and check the weather, see if it's a good time to travel. He doesn't do that, though there's much wisdom that we do that when we travel, right? You're going to go, you travel up to, uh, up to Seattle so this time of year in November, December. You want to check the forecast because sometimes it snows and, and it's not so safe driving through the past when it snows. You check the weather. But God simply has his people respond in simple obedience to this cloud. This cloud lifting up and moving ahead and this cloud moving back and resting on the tabernacle. And by faith, they, they understood that that was God's guidance. Simple obedience to God's command. In our day of the pandemic, we have been asking ourselves a lot of will of God questions. What does God want us to do? You know, should, should we wear masks? I know many of you have wrestled, uh, that have come and shared with me how you wrestling. Should I get vaccinated? Some of you have talked about, should I go to work? Or not? Should I go to school or not? We talked about even in the church, should we, should we gather in person for worship or not? All these questions, and, and much many more like it. And yet we know that where, everywhere we go, we, we have these questions because wherever we go, especially in light of this pandemic, endemic really, there is risk. There is potential danger. It is real. COVID is real disease, right? I hope nobody doubts that but the Lord doesn't give us answers to those questions I mentioned earlier in such explicit detail. But the Lord instead, in his word, gives us very clear commands. Clear commands that he wants us to obey. Commands to love him with all our being. To love our neighbor as ourselves. To make disciples of Jesus Christ. To encourage one another to love in good deeds. To love our enemies. To be at peace with one another. To obey your conscience before the Lord, to not judge others. All these are commands of God. And these are commands that are clear that we should obey. And if we, as we obey these instructions, as we follow his will, we can trust God with those lesser issues that are, that are prevailing on our mind. For we know that God will guide his people. And God will guide you. As little children, we find comfort in the presence and guidance of our parents, do we not? We want them to go with us whenever to those places wherever we may face uncertain or unknown or fearful situations. We call out to them when we're afraid, when we don't know what to do. We always want to hold their hands in the midst of crowds in, in strange places. It's because we don't know the way, but we trust our parents do. Sometimes they don't, but we trust that they do. Eventually, though, as we grow older, we discover that our parents can't always be there for us or with us. The godly parents will teach and remind their children that though they won't always be there for them, there is one who is, and that is the Lord our God. Parents, teach your children To not depend upon you, but to depend upon the Lord, our God. And as followers of Jesus Christ, who have the Lord as our God, we are never alone. The one who sends us out to make disciples of Jesus Christ has promised, has he not, in the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I can't be with you always. Your parents can't be with you always. But the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is with you always. He calls his disciples to follow him. You see, we do not need a cloud to follow the Lord, our God. We have Jesus Christ to follow the Lord, our God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he has come to make known the the will of God. And it's in him through we have access to follow our God. And so we all we need is Jesus. And we need to trust and follow Him. Is He is the Lord your God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the reminder. And then this is the reminder of this, the cloud of God's presence and God's guidance for the Israelites that encourages his people to follow and worship him faithfully. There's a second, there's a second um, reminder of the Lord that encourages people to follow and worship him faithfully, and that is this. This, uh, this reminder of the trumpets, of the trumpets in chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. Um, <clears throat> even though there's a chapter break, I, I believe this, this fits along with the section. They really are the same theme of, of what would prepare them to march out. And the, this, the, com, the comment about the Lord spoke further to Moses saying uh, seems to be an indication that it's a continuation of the previous chapter. Now, whereas the cloud served as a as a visual reminder and and response to the eye of God, the trumpets here serve as an audio reminder of God of a, of what we could, of a sound. It's just you know God may perhaps knows that we are all different. We all kind of are learn or are things different things kind of impact us more. And some of us are, are you know visual learners, and some of us are are audio learners, some of our are, are tactile learners, etc. And there's and so God has here an audio reminder in these trumpets during Israel's wandering in the wilderness. These trumpets were a reminder of God, and. And they would serve as a reminder. In verses 1 to 4 of this chapter, chapter, we see that they're a reminder for Israel to assemble before the Lord. These trumpets would serve to remind them whenever they needed to assemble before the Lord. In verses 1 to 4. Let's read chapter 10, 1 to 4. The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make yourselves two trumpets of silver. Of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for summoning the congregation and for having the camp set out. When both are blown, all the congregations shall gather themselves to you at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Yet if only one is blown, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel, shall assemble before you." in in the old testament the most common uh, kind of trumpet or sometimes called a horn was the hebrew shofar the shofar and it would be a cur- it would be kind of a curved because it was made out of a ram's horn or or an ox of an ox of a, a wild ox's horn and they would be blown oftentimes as part of israel's procession worship uh, uh, going into battle as well but here is a different type of horn this is a second kind of horn and this is a a trumpet made out of silver, not out of an animal horn. It was a uh, Josephus writes actually writes about it in his Antiquities. He describes it as a, basically a silver, a silver horn, narrow horn, kind of like a a flute uh, narrowness. And but at the end it would have a bell shaped, and so that basically like a trumpet. And it was about a cubit, uh, eighteen inches long. And we see in verse two of this of this verse. Uh, oh, um, by the way, this this. Um, these silver trumpets would become a, a very significant part of, of Israel's worship and of Israel's life that if you've ever been to Rome, if you've ever seen the Arch of Titus that's in Rome, you'll see there that Titus, when he conquered Rome in eighty seventy, he carried off certain holy objects. In that little relief of the holy objects, you see the, the menorah, the lampstand, you'll see the, the table of showbread, and you'll see two horns, of course, we don't see what color they are, but there is very likely, quite possibly, the two silver trumpets that are mentioned here. Anyways, verse two of our passage introduces the twofold purpose of these trumpets. What were these trumpets for? Number one, they were to summon the congregation to assemble, and number two, they were to have the camp to tell the camps to set out. Verses three to four here elaborate on the first purpose. When both trumpets are blown, uh, all the trumpets all the congregation of Israel were then to gather at the tent of meeting to where Moses was. And since that is where the Lord dwelt in the tabernacle, then essentially both trumpets were a call to assemble, yes, to Moses, but because Moses was the mouthpiece of God, they were to assemble before the Lord their God. And when only one trumpet was blown, then that was a reminder just for the leaders to come and assemble before the tent of meeting before God. So then these trumpets reminded God's people at all times when when blown to assemble and gather before the Lord whether it was to gather for instruction whether it was to gather for worship these trumpets were a call from God to come before him here then is an important lesson for future generations that even here at this very moment as the people of God they would be regularly continually called to gather before the Lord why because this is their God they were called to hear his word. They were called together to worship him. They were called for instruction. And that, and that would set a pattern throughout Old Testament history, and yes, even into New Testament, the New Testament early church, and to our day today, that the people of God would on a regular basis be called together to gather before the Lord, even this morning. I don't think any of you guys, did any of you hear trumpets blowing? But yet, here we are. Well, if you did, you've got tinnitus like me, okay? Uh, you didn't hear t- trumpets, but you came nevertheless. Why? Because you know that God calls us, calls us to gather together as his people. There's value. You understand that we, as the people of God, desire to c- gather together for worship. We gather together before the Lord to praise him, to worship him, to hear his, receive his instruction, but to declare and when we come together corporately, we are saying that we all gather together because we have one God. The Lord is our God. That's what we're saying. Verses five to seven. And now elaborate, further elaborate on the second purpose for these trumpets. Not only as a reminder of to assemble before the Lord, and verse five to seven is a reminder, tells us that these trumpets were a reminder to follow after the Lord. Verse five and seven. Five through seven. But when you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are pitched on the south side shall set out. Alarm is to be blown for them to set out. When convening the assembly, however, you shall blow without sounding an alarm. Many of us are probably... Uh, Familiar with uh, bugle calls or uh, in the military, you probably heard of them at least, or you've probably seen them in movies at the very least. We just celebrate Veterans Day, so uh, many of you who served in our our military, thank you for your service. but uh, there are different bugle calls or trumpets, you know, little trumpets, and they would play different, different signals, different calls that would indicate uh, what it was, you know, in a sense, what time it was. There are different times of day, especially if they're in the camp. It would tell them it's time for this, time to wake up, time to go, do the, time to eat, time to, you know, do this or do that. But in war, these calls would tell them to, to charge or, or to retreat or to gather and, and all those things. Here are these... We see the terminology, they, when they blow this trumpet at this time, they blow an alarm. Even the wording has changed. It's not just to blow the trumpets, but they blow an alarm. They, that is, it's an alert. It's an indication. It's like most of us probably woke up to an alert or an alarm this morning that the us to tell us, oh, and that buzz thing or that, that beeping, that told us, it's time for me to get up. Here, these trumpets would serve as an alarm, an alert, to tell Israel when they were to march And the march set out from their camps. Now, all this assumes a lot of context. If you haven't been with us, then this is kind of maybe unfamiliar. But back in chapter 2, God had given instructions to Israel how they were to camp around the tent of meeting. The Tent of Meeting was to be in the middle, and then we see these various tribes all given a place around the camp, of uh, around the Tent of Meeting. Judah with his two other tribes, and Reuben, and you see Ephraim and Dan, and so three tribes on each side, and there's a certain order to it from east to south to west to north. And this order around the Tent of Meeting, That by the way, the entrance of the Tent of Meeting was on the east where the sun rises, and so that was the most significant place, but this would also be the same order in which they were to march. Judah and his two other tribes were to march first, followed by Reuben and the, 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 Reuben and his fellow tribes, then the ten of meeting in the middle, and Ephraim and Dan, lastly, to follow. So the order of how they camped basically correlated with how they were to set out. And these were instructions given to them by the Lord. These were God's instructions. This is not just, oh, this is, you know, this is whatever you decide to do. This is God's command for them. And so we read here that when the first alarm is blown, Judah and Issachar and Zebulun would head out first. And when the second alarm is blown, then Gad, Reuben, and Gad and Simeon would head out second. Then came the tent of meeting, then Ephraim, then Dan. And no mention is made of any further alarms, but presumably there were probably other alarms that would indicate each subsequent uh, set of tribes. And the tent of meeting was carried by the Levites. Remember, though, that even before any alarm is blown, to tell the tribes to set out, they had already been indicated by the very fact that the pillar of cloud had, had lifted up from the cloud of meeting and had gone before them. And that was the indication to Israel, basically indicated to Israel to get ready. God is leading us forward. And so they would all get ready. They'd all pack their things, and then they would listen for the alarms. And when they heard the alarm, then Judah would go and, and so forth. So, these trumpet alarms weren't just a, weren't just, it just wasn't just for practical organization of a march. It makes a lot of sense. There's wisdom in it, and God operates in that way. But rather, they were a reminder that God had assigned their marching order. And by his designated alarm, they were to set out. When they set out in response to their respective alarms, they were doing so in obedience to God's command. They were following the Lord. When they heard the alarm of those trumpets, they were hearing the alarm from God. When they saw the pillar go forth, they were hearing the command of the Lord. And so when they moved out, they were following the Lord. And we see then this general principle that God expects his people to follow him, right? If he's our God, he would expect us to follow him. Whether he calls us to follow him through a cloud or through a trumpet alarm or through his very word, when God calls us to follow we ought to think about it, take our time and reflect, see if that's no, it's not right for me right now. It's not, not a good time. No, we ought to follow, right? We ought to follow. It's clear. It's so simple. Jesus Christ in his great sermon on the plane uh, in Luke chapter 640, Sirk said this very, very poignant, very simple and powerful phrase. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Wow. If we call him Lord, if we call him Jesus, our Lord, our God, why don't we obey him? You see, the people of God, God's people, ought to be marked by obedience to the Lord. We ought to be marked by following his commands. Now, let me make clear, in case anyone is mistaken, a person doesn't become a Christian. Because they do what the Lord says, okay, it's, it's, that would be a works salvation. Rather, a Christian, one who is a person who confesses Jesus as Lord, will as a result or because of their faith in him, do what the Lord says. Obedience is a result of our faith in the Lord. It's not obedience makes you. A Christian, or cause you uh, to become a Christian. So a Christian will follow the Lord. Then, as we see here, and these trumpets weren't just these trumpets would be a constant reminder to them to follow Him wherever, whenever He called, whenever He called them to gather, to assemble before Him, whenever He called them to stretch out to march, they were to follow the Lord. Now these trumpets weren't just used in the wilderness period when they wandered for 40 years, but also they would be used when they entered the Promised Land. They would serve as a, as a perpetual reminder of the Lord, as we find in our last section, in verses 8 to 10, that these would be the reminder of the Lord your God. We read in chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, these words. The priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, and this God's still speaking this, right? The priestly sons of Aaron, moreover, shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be for you a perpetual statute throughout your generations." When you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. Also in the day of your gladness and in your appointed feasts, and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be a reminder of you before your God, I am the Lord your God. The Lord further tells Moses that these trumpets are going to be blown by, by the priests. And they're going to be the charge of the priests as a perpetual statute, we see. And this phrase, perpetual, just simply means continual. It's a continual observance, a continual ordinance that they were to observe. And this phrase is, is used only a few times in the Old Testament. But it's used of significant moments, significant uh, uh, ordinance or statutes that the Israelites were to observe. For instance, it was used of the Passover. In Exodus 12, the Passover was a perpetual statute. It was used at the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, was a perpetual statute. And now God says, these trumpets that are to be blown will be blown as a perpetual statute. You can imagine and understand why these became so valuable that they were even they made it onto the Arch of Titus, right? But anyways. These were important part. Would become an important part of Israel's life in the Promised Land. In verse nine, uh, uh, we we see these these extensions of the purpose of the trumpets detailed in verses nine and ten. In verse nine, the trumpets were to be sounded whenever when they were going forth into war against any attacking enemies, and uh, they were to whenever in the Promised Land uh, that we read here. Whenever an adversary comes, attacks them, not, it doesn't even say when they attack their enemies, but when the enemies attack them, they were to sound the alarm with the trumpets. They were to blow this trumpet. Now, a lot of commentators will say it was, it was to serve to, to rally the troops, to rally the soldiers, like an alarm, like, hey, we're being attacked. Everybody, get your swords out, get your shield and armor on. Come on, let's fight. But that's not the purpose of these trumpets, even though it might have had that practical effect. What does the word of God say? It says you blow the alarm with the trumpets that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. That's a it it says so so that the Lord your God in essence will remember you and save you. Now, the implication of this is that to us if we if we particularly if we're not kind of with an initial reading might say, "Well, does that mean that God somehow forgot them? Did he forget his promises somehow?" Did God forget that he, this was his people? They say, hey, you know, hey Lord, remember us. You know, we're your people. Come and save us. God is all-knowing God, all-powerful God. He's etern- existed all eternity. He's a God of providence, God of sovereignty. He's ordained the beginning from the end. He knows all things. He knows it all from the beginning. He's not surprised. When he doesn't forget. God does not forget, right? So we know that, we, and hopefully we establish that. So what does it mean then when he says that when we blow these trumpets that you may be remembered for the Lord? This is a use of anthropomorphic figure of speech. It's using human descriptions to describe in a figurative way to describe God. It is a way of saying that the Lord, that, that he would remember his promises, that the Lord would remember and keep his promise to give them victory over their enemies. For God had promised to protect them, and so this was a similar this this idea of remembering is uh, comes out of a very similar place uh, you may be familiar with in, in Genesis chapter eight verse one, when Noah is in the ark with his you know with with his family and his animals and the, chapter eight verse one then God remembered Noah. Did God really forget? Noah? No, no, of course not. But God remembered His promise in a sense that God remembered that His promise, not that He forgot, but He He was remembering at that moment and fulfilling His promise to save Noah and all the animals out of the judgment waters of the flood. God at that point at that point was keeping his covenant promise to save Noah. Now certainly an omnipotent God doesn't need Israel to blow their trumpet in order for him to keep his promise. God's not saying, that, "Well, you know, I'm not going to keep my promise until you blow that trumpet." God could save however he wishes, right? But rather when he calls them to blow the trumpet, It is a call to an act of faith. It is a call, a simple act of faith, of trusting the Lord your God. The Lord your God tells you, when your enemies attack, blow the trumpet. And so if you trust in him to keep his promise to save you, when the enemies attack, by faith, blow that trumpet. Just as Gideon and his 300 men blew their trumpets, and cracked their, <laughs> their vases and held up their, their torches. 300 men against an army of 120,000? It certainly wasn't the cleverness of the plan. But it was an act of faith that God would save them from their enemies. And so we see here, these, God telling them to blow the trumpet was, a remind, was an act of faith. And that act of faith is similarly seen in verse 10. When the trumpets were to be sounded, when they gathered for worship as well. When during the appointed annual feasts or during their new moons or when they would offer burnt offerings and when they offered peace offerings, they were to blow their trumpets. And this too, as we see in the text, was so that they would be as a reminder of you before your God. And of course, God doesn't forget, but it's a reminder, it's an act of faith that, got to, in a, a, that God would remember his promises to receive your worship. To receive these sacrifices, certainly none of these animals that were sacrificed could ever take away their sins, right? And and it's not like they became perfectly holy people. They continued in sin. But those sacrifices that were made, and every time they gathered to God to worship, they acted in faith when they blew their trumpets. In faith that the Lord their God had called them to assemble to follow his commands in offering their sacrifices. It's an act of faith that acknowledges that the Lord is their God and their trust is in him, and that's why they come together to worship him. Now, as New Testament saints, we we don't have trumpets to blow. We don't have trumpets to blow and say, you know, hey, uh, we have faith in you, Lord. Right? We don't don't blow trumpets to do that. But when we gather each week and when we follow his word, his commands, we are acknowledging that the Lord is our God by faith. These trumpets are a reminder to the Israelites that the Lord is their God, and then God ends this section with, that, with the affirmation that all these things we need to do, you remember before the Lord your God as a reminder of you before your God. Why? Because I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. And that promise was for the, all, for the people of Israel in that first generation, in that second generation, and all the generations after, that the, Israel, the, Israel, the nation of Israel would be God's chosen people. And that promise could be said to us too as a church today. We who are God's, God's people today, a holy people, a chosen nation, a people for his own possession, we too have the Lord our God. And God is our God, and we need to remember that. We conclude just reminding ourselves, going back to the big question, who is your God? Who is your God? Why have we gathered? What are we here for? Who is the one that we cling to with all our heart? Who or what is that which we rely upon and trust in in times of difficulties, in times of trials, when the way is not clear and dangers are all about? It is the Lord, our God, and I hope, to, and and I would imagine in, the, in the, this book, in the, this room, that for the majority of us, the Lord, we would all say that the Lord is our God. And if the Lord is your God, then ask yourself, just like the application for it says, how then are you worshiping and following Him? How then do you worship Him and follow Him? And then you just examine your life: Are you are you living for Him? Are you following His commands? Are you are you obeying Him? Are you living for His glory? Are you being faithful to love Him, to love others, to love your neighbors? all those simple, straightforward commands that God's word gives us. But if he is not, if the Lord is not your God, then I'm so thankful that you're here today. I'm glad you're here today because you are here to hear exactly what God wants you to know. That God wants you to know that the God of the Bible, the Lord God has sent his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to deliver you from sin. As he delivered Egypt from slavery to e- from in Egypt, he has sent his son to deliver you and me, all of us, from slavery to sin. And if you put your trust in him, if you confess him as Lord, Jesus as Lord, and trust in Christ's death and resurrection for your sin, the Bible says you will be saved. That is his promise to you. Romans 10, 13 says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that can be you as those who have and as therefore as those who have been delivered those who call upon the name of the Lord we are left to wander here on this earth but we do not wander alone our God is with us until we reach the promised land and let us and God has given us reminders throughout his in his scripture not a cloud not a trumpet but his word both the written word and the living word Jesus Christ. Christ is better than the cloud. Christ is better than the trumpets. Christ is who we need to look to as their constant reminder that the Lord, his Father, is our God. And therefore, we let us continually, faithfully worship, serve, and love him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for our time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this reminder of who you are, that you are the Lord, and most importantly, you are our God. Father, forgive us when we put anything, anyone else above you, when we allow other things to become a God before you. Help us to once again renew our commitment to worship you and you alone, for you and you alone are God. You are the true and living God, and there is no other, there is salvation in no other but you. And thank you, Father, for making that salvation possible in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that you've given us that which is better than the clouds, that which is better than the trumpets. You've given us your Son the one whom we saw with our eyes and beheld, beheld and whom we heard his word and which had been recorded for us in your scriptures as a constant reminder that you are our God as those who call upon you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who does not yet know Jesus as their saving Lord, that today they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and be saved and worship you and know you until you call us home to be with you. Lord, we pray pray that uh, you would be glorified through this week, and especially as we celebrate Thanksgiving uh, later on, may you open up doors for us to share of the blessings that we have and the thankfulness that we have that the Lord, you, are our God. And Jesus, your Son, is our Savior and Lord. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.